Sometimes a guest is as good as you thought they would be, and that was definitely the case with Dr. John Moore, who was the president of Drury University. And I thought that that was a fairly interesting topic, but then I got to looking at all the different people that had been through that office and how long he stayed there. And so we spent an in-depth time talking about his life and how he ended up leading Drury University to an amazing period. And it's broken into two parts, so let's get started and hear about this amazing man. Remember that you can always go to dalewileyshow.com to learn more. I've got other things coming, and I think we're moving to wider platforms, including YouTube. So thank you, and here we are with John Moore. Today with my friend John Moore, and I just want to learn about you and hear your stories and everything. And so where I'd like to start is, I would just like to hear where you began and how you got here. Well, my, star my story, uh, Dale, uh, really uh, begins here in the Ozarks. Okay. My family uh, is from Monette. Okay. Some years back uh, when I was li living in Springfield, somebody said, well, you're from Monette. You must be a Monetian. And I said, you know, I'd never thought about it that way, but I guess so. My, uh, my grandparents uh, uh, were from there. Uh, my grandmother, uh, my great-grandfather had come to what was Plymouth Junction back oh, wow. in the 18... 70s, I guess, or even before that, after the Civil War. And uh, my grandfather originally was from Fort Smith. Okay. Came up there with the railroad. Uh, he was a railroad man, an engineer on the Frisco Railroad. And uh, they had three, three daughters, uh, one of whom, the oldest of whom was my mother. She married uh, my dad, uh, whose name, like mine, is sure. John Moore. Oh, really? And uh, the, my mother's family name, Harback. Uh -huh. And uh, anyway, uh, my roots are down there. I was born in 1942 in uh, Aurora. There okay. was no uh, hospital in Monette at that time, and so I was I was hatched in Aurora. <laughs> and uh, so my roots go back uh, uh, here in the Ozarks. Uh, my, they're down in the in the red rocky soil that. Uh, covers this uh, part of the world. Yes. And I grew up around the Midwest uh, okay. in uh, Missouri, mostly in Missouri. I went through high school in, uh, outside of Minneapolis. Okay. But I'm a Midwesterner, uh, a Missourian. Uh -huh. uh, what did your parents do? My dad was in the insurance business. He okay. was in the military when I was born in World War II. And uh, uh, after the war, uh, he found uh, his career uh, in uh, insurance and insurance sales and insurance uh, sales management. And uh, my mother, uh, in what uh, today would be considered a very traditional role, right. <laughs> was uh, a homemaker, uh, yes. raised uh, three of us. I have a younger brother and sister and uh, took care of the house uh, and household and raising kids and my dad... Uh, was out uh, trying to uh, make a living Sell for us. Insurance, yes. He did. He was in the insurance business, and and uh, anyway, I, I think we had a very, you know, looking back on it, very much of a typical normal family. We were never well to do. Uh -huh. uh, we were comfortably middle class. Uh, uh, by today's standards, uh, had a very modest living, but a very uh, adequate living uh, yeah. uh, by the standards of those days. Sure. And uh, anyway, that's that's my story uh, about the growing up years. I was uh, uh, an, an adequate student in uh, school. <laughs> well, you obviously were more than adequate. <laughs> that's a little bit of an understatement. Uh, well, I was adequate. <laughs> I was adequate. You're uh, to it. I was, yeah, I, I was. <laughs> okay, so anyway, where did you go to college? Well, I graduated from high school outside of uh, Minneapolis, Adina, Morningside, a suburban, uh -huh. a, a good suburban uh, high school in, right. in its day in the late uh, 50s. Uh -huh. And uh, it was considered to be affluent. 
Right. We lived over on the poor side of town uh, because uh, the schools were good. Uh-huh. And uh, I, uh, I applied several places when I was a senior in high school. Uh, I had a nomination to go to the Air Force Academy, and I applied to uh, Harvard and to Yale. My mother wanted me to go to Carleton College, which okay. is a very fine liberal very arts nice. college uh, yes. in, in Northfield, New- Minnesota. Yes. And uh, I did have a nomination to the Air Force Academy, and I, I was admitted to, to uh, Yale and to Harvard, and uh, Yale gave me a, a scholarship. Uh, Harvard did too, but Yale's was better, and I knew <laughs> I could take ROTC. This was back when we were all subject to the draft, Sure. and uh, I knew I could take ROTC at Yale, so I ended up going there along with uh, three of my classmates from high school. Really? Yes. Uh, okay. Probably 90-plus percent of my high school class went on to post-secondary education. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, there were four of us that went to Yale, four to Harvard, and four to Dartmouth. And there were wow. several uh, uh, girls in my class who went to uh, uh women's colleges sure. in the Northeast in New England. So I went to college in New England, right. and uh, I, I, I stayed at Yale after I finished my uh, undergraduate degree, got a master's degree in teaching. Uh-huh. A lot of my classmates uh, were going on to business or law school, and I thought oh, there must be something more worthy than that. In the, uh-huh. you know, and well, tell me about Yale when you went there. It was an overwhelming place for okay. me. I, I flew Who off. Who were the people that were standing out at that time? Well, it uh, you know it had a it's a it's a known name. Okay. You know, people oh, know yeah. something about it. Uh, it's uh, the third oldest uh, college in the United States after Harvard and William and Mary. Right. And has been around a long time. Uh, and uh, over 300 years, 300 and <laughs> nearly 20 years. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I was impressed with, with the, the professors who taught. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah. we didn't have graduate oh, yeah. assistants, and we had some big lecture classes, oh, yeah. but a lot of small seminar classes, like uh, sitting around the table here where we're sitting right now, and uh, an awful lot of opportunity for interchange. Uh, you know, we were, we were expected to learn, uh, the, the expectations were high, uh, to provide, uh, you know, what I think is the essence of a good liberal arts education, which, uh, and it requires you to read a lot, to write a lot, uh, to speak, uh, and, uh, you know, if you can read and write and speak and think, Yes. Uh, which I think we were challenged to do. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the essence of what a good education should be that will right. carry through uh, throughout your lifetime and your working career. Right. So those are the experiences I had in college. It was great. I did take ROTC. Uh-huh. Uh, I think your dad did maybe he as did. well. I remember that. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, anyway... Uh, it was a great experience. I was commissioned uh, a lieutenant when I got out of college. Uh, is this got a man at Yale time, or what is it? Is there what's going on on the campus at that time? Well, thinking about you know William Buckley being there. Oh yeah, that's early. Yeah, the it was early on. Uh, it was, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, at the tail end of the time I was there. Uh, the peace movement started. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, I was probably the last, one of the last gasps of the so-called silent generation. Sure. Uh, you know, we were expected to conform, uh, uh, to you know, be reliable, to show right. up uh, and uh, do our work. Uh, and uh, while I was there, uh, I think... Uh, this was from 1960 to through 65 when I got my master's degree. Uh-huh. Uh, it, there was a transition going on. My class was the first one where a majority of the students, there were a thousand in my entering class, uh-huh. uh, which isn't big by state university standards, yes, but a majority, uh, and it was all boys, young uh-huh. men, 
coeducation coeducation came about at Yale in 1969. So I was there. I'm, I'm you know, was there too early, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, uh, there was a kind of a, a transition, a transformation going on in the student body uh, that was uh, colored and uh, responsive to the movements in the larger society right. uh, of uh, questioning of uh, you know what was to become the counterculture, uh, the response and reaction to Vietnam. Right. Uh, it was a time of transition. And uh, I remember uh, I saw in 1960, I was uh, 30 feet from uh, Jack Kennedy and in another parade, uh, uh, Richard Nixon, who campaigned in New Haven. They rode down the street with crowds packed on either <laughs> side. Uh, they rode down the street in an open convertible. Today, yes. you couldn't do that. Oh, um, yeah. The security would be so great. But uh, there was great excitement uh, about uh, the election of uh, Senator Kennedy, then President Kennedy. Sure. Uh, the, uh, the the challenges that he threw out, uh, you know, not ask, don't ask what your country can do for you. What can you do for your country? Right. Uh, there was, uh, uh, I remember by the end of my senior year, several uh, classmates were going into the Peace Corps, responding uh -huh. to uh, the interest in public service. Oh, yeah. And uh, it anyway, it was a, it was a, it was, a, you know, uh, the decade of the 1960s, which is the decade during which I came of age. Uh -huh. I was socially, uh, you know, uh, sort of became socially aware, socially uh -huh. uh, involved, uh, and uh, and during that same decade, I I was in the military. I was in Southeast Asia. Uh, I lived through a lot of that, and I came back at the end of that decade after serving in the military. I'd started teaching a little bit, and uh, I Where went to, I, I, well, I was teaching in North Carolina, and then when I was in the service, I was overseas, and uh, I was stationed in Korea, and uh -huh. I taught uh, hist history uh, in the University of Maryland's Far East Division. Okay. Uh, kept me busy, uh -huh. and... Uh, uh, when I came back at the end of that decade, from 1968 through 70, I went back to graduate school, was at Harvard, uh -huh. and uh, uh, the the counterculture was at its uh, peak, yes. and uh, I observed firsthand uh, student protests, uh, even at a staid old traditional place like Harvard, students right. taking over the president's office, and, <laughs> and uh, the crazy uh, counterculture people that you'd see hangers-on around sure. that university community. Anyway, the, uh, I came of age in the decade of the 1960s, and uh, uh, it was a period of turmoil. It was a period of transformation. It was a period of frustration. It was a period of high hopes. Uh, uh, and... Uh, you know, now we we uh, look back and the news media celebrates uh, Woodstock 50 years <laughs> after. Yes. And uh, I lived through all of right. that firsthand as a young young person uh -huh. uh, coming of age in that heady time. It's like, uh, you know, I'm trying to think the quote from uh, the quotation from A Tale of Two Cities. Uh -huh. uh, you know, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times, <laughs> yes. the way that... That wonderful book starts. Right. Anyway, that uh, that's a bit about uh, that period of my life. And so I guess that my next question is, how did you, well, let's talk about Asia for a minute. What yeah. was it like being in Korea or whatever? Yeah, I was stationed in Korea. I uh, managed to travel throughout the Far East. This was in the period of 66, 68. Um, it was uh, it was kind of hectic, uh, you know. <laughs> United, important. it was hectic. It was it, 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 you know a lot of moving parts. Sure. Uh, the war in uh, Vietnam, 
one of our country's great misadventures in my <laughs> <Yes>. judgment. <laughs> and at that point I became uh, very interested in America's foreign policy uh -huh. because as a soldier uh, uh, I was uh, a personal extension of oh, that yeah. policy. One that could uh, get killed. Yeah, absolutely, uh -huh. absolutely. It's hot in Korea. I was uh, uh, in the 7th Infantry Division up on the demilitarized zone, I commanded a field artillery battery that was nuclear capable, uh -huh. and uh, it was tense the entire time I was there. We brought, we brought troops up from uh, Vietnam, uh, we trained them in special weapons, uh, uh, I traveled, uh, I was in Japan two or three times, I was in uh, Okinawa, I was in uh, the Philippines, I was in Vietnam, I was in uh, Thailand, and, and uh, uh, down in Myanmar, Burma, as what well. What does it mean to be nuclear capable? That means if the balloon ever goes up, and that's a term used in the military, if uh -huh. war breaks out, uh, nuclear war or even limited uh, war, uh, you're called upon uh, to employ uh, if ordered to do so, nuclear weapons. Well, I know that, but what I'm saying is, does that mean that you had nuclear weapons, or what was, what was your requirement at that time? Our requirement was to be trained, uh, to train, to practice, uh, so that uh, if we were ever required to employ nuclear weapons, we would be able to produce a reliable weapon and uh, put it uh, on target uh, as ordered to do so. Okay. Uh, and that, you know, from the very beginnings of the Korean War uh, in the early years, uh, uh, General MacArthur had uh, proposed using nuclear weapons uh, uh -huh. up in North Korea yes. in that great out. You know the still aren't having the, to deal with that. Yeah, and uh, so that's an issue. And now, yeah, we're having to deal with it because North Korea has developed nuclear weapons, and uh, uh, despite uh, the 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 uh, suggestions of uh, of friendship between Mr. Trump and uh, Kim Jong Un, uh, you know the. Two armies uh, sit uh, on opposite sides of the demilitarized zone with, uh, uh, I suppose, the North, North Koreans have some sort of tactical nuclear weapons. Our nuclear weapons were not, not big ones, not that any of them is ever small, but they were sure. tactical nuclear weapons and might have been employed had there ever been an outbreak of, uh, of a war where that was determined to be. Required. Well, and so getting back to America then, and mm. you went to Harvard after that point? I did. Okay. I did. I got out in 1968. I fulfilled my, I commissioned a reserve officer. I uh, declined uh, an offer to be have a regular commission and stay in the Army. You could have made a career of it. Right. And, uh, and it was not absent from my thought because I had considered uh, going to the Air Force Academy. Okay. Uh, when I got out of high school, but I determined no, I would uh, not uh, not do that. So I I was a reserve officer. I completed my reserve obligation, and came back and went to graduate school. And my intention was to make my career in education. Okay. I was a career educator, mm -hmm. and uh, that's. Uh, so what was your graduate study at Harvard in? I was in the uh, Graduate School of Education and I took a program called uh, the Administrative Career Program, oh, which wow. prepared, uh, uh, prepared uh, men and women uh, to go into uh, uh, things like school superintendencies, sure. uh -huh. uh, college presidencies, which is where <laughs> I ended up, yes. uh, or uh, other positions of educational leadership. Some went into, became foundation executives uh, uh, or uh, college professors. So right. it was a mixed, kind of a mixed bag, but the administrative career program. Uh, and so then where did you go? What happened? I finished my work in, uh, I'm trying to think, I think it was 1970. 
and uh, I took a job as assistant to the superintendent. I was, how old was I? Might have been 27. Uh, I took a job as assistant to the superintendent in the Kirkwood School District in suburban uh, St. Louis. Okay. And uh, was there four years and became, uh, uh, before the end of that time, I spent a couple of years as assistant superintendent of schools. Uh, you know, I was 30 years old, I guess, uh -huh. something like that. Uh, so I, you know, got into, into the administrative side. Right. And uh, was there four years and had a good run. I learned a lot. Uh, you know, looking back, uh, every day was a learning experience. And I think that, you know, the mark of a, if you've got a good education, a good liberal arts education or right. other kind of, edu whatever kind of education you have, if it's a good one, you're going to learn something new every day. Uh -huh. uh, you ought to be open. It's never, you know, you don't get a degree or graduate and uh, say, well, I've done it now, I know everything, and I can go on. It just, it just is the beginning. Been. It opens the door. It opens the door, and you uh, learn something every day, and I surely did. Uh -huh. A lot of it working with people, uh, figuring out how to get things done. I took care of all the uh, my background. had kind of been in curriculum uh, work and teaching, but... Uh, I got over into the administrative side. I managed the money, uh -huh. uh, you know, prepared budgets, uh, oversaw all of our physical plant uh, uh, personnel. It was uh, a busy time, and I learned something every, every day. Wow. And was there from 1970 to 1974, I spent four years living in Kirkwood. Okay, uh, very nice area. It's a nice area. It's an old community. The right. community is. It was established as, you know, like Republic is to uh, yeah, Springfield yeah. Or, or Ozark is to Springfield. Here, uh, it had been established back uh, actually before the Civil War, on the railroad, which came southwest from Springfield, from uh, St. Louis towards Springfield. It only got to Rolla, I think, uh, during the, by the end of the Civil War, uh -huh. before the Civil War started. But uh, Kirk was a, a nice community, uh, uh, and uh, by happenstance, it wasn't by design, but I had gone to junior high school in uh, Webster okay. Groves. Uh, and there were great rivalry in <laughs> sports between Webster and, uh, and Kirkwood. And I enjoyed thoroughly the time I spent there. As I said, I learned a lot. And uh, after four years, I, I was looking for something else. Uh -huh. uh, no, actually, it, it came to me. I wasn't looking so much, but I had a, had a call and uh, uh, a, a friend. You mean a, a physical call? Or a, a, I had a, call, a, 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 a <laughs> telephone call from okay. a, a longtime friend uh, who I'd gone to graduate school with to consider uh, coming to uh, Athens, Greece and work in a private school in Athens, oh, Greece. Wow. So I did that I, and it, I ended up doing that and moved to Athens with my young family. I had uh, two little kids. Uh, I married Louise, uh, uh, Louise Watkins, uh, and uh, we had a family, and, uh -huh. and uh, we packed up and went to, went to, to Greece. Greece. We went to Greece. What and was I, that like? Well, you know, I'd lived in, uh, in Korea, and right. I traveled around the world some. And um, it, was, uh, it was an interesting time. Uh -huh. uh, we left in the summer of 1974. I think uh, Richard Nixon was about to be to leave office. Yes, definitely. Uh, there had been a junta in charge of the government, a military government, and it had just been overthrown in, uh, in Greece as we left. I remember we got on a big uh, 747 in New York, a big uh, TWA jumbo jet to fly to uh, Athens. Uh, and I said to the flight crew, uh, you're not making any money. There are only three dozen people on this plane. 
Okay. And, and they said, uh, well, we make it up coming back because there were all these Americans leaving Greece because of the political turmoil. Okay. And uh, we got there, and, and it was, a, a, I think, a challenging time, uh -huh. a transition time. Uh -huh. But uh, I enjoyed it. A, a good school. I was familiar with the school. A Greek school. It was not an American school. It had Greek roots, but with American involvement. Uh, from its founding back at the turn of the 20th century. Uh -huh. And uh, we lived on the campus, lived in a house that had been a German uh, hospital during World War II. Really? Yeah, there was a lot of history associated with the place. And uh, It's amazing how different that is just, you know, in terms of the history over in Europe or whatever, and then America. I mean, it really makes it really gives you the perspective of how much there is. It, oh yeah, well, <laughs> you know, a lot of our, our culture here comes from Europe uh, and it's a deep uh, and old culture. Sure. Uh, Greece is part of it uh, from classical oh, times forward. So. Uh, but, the uh, earliest part of it, really. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, the school was it was bilingual. Uh, English got me by just fine, but I worked very hard uh, to uh, learn modern Greek so I could get around. And I okay. still, to this day, speak enough to be dangerous. Uh, but uh, it's not very useful unless you go in a Greek restaurant someplace and can uh, exchange a few pleasantries. Uh, the Papulis uh, restaurant yes. down here at Reed Spring is uh, uh, the folks there. Uh, Bessie and Tom. Bessie and Tom uh, <laughs> we'd always have a nice visit, and I've got several Greek friends in uh, Springfield. Uh -huh. So anyway, it was a great and experience. And so, how long were you there? I stayed a year, uh, and I had intended to go and stay much longer. And uh, the reason I came back, my, my mother and dad were retired, living in Monette. They'd moved back there when my dad retired. Okay. And my mother uh, had a significant health challenge, okay. had uh, heart surgery wow. and was failing. And uh, that occasioned uh, me to uh, kind of respond to my uh, dad uh, and uh, come back to be here okay. near my near my folks uh, but you know I could have been happy staying there a long sure. time it was a, a comfortable uh, situation uh, with plenty of challenges uh -huh. uh, it was all boys at the time we built we're building another school uh, uh, and we're in the process of going co-ed okay. bringing girls in and, and it was from the earliest grades up through uh, high school uh, plus a year. Uh -huh. In fact, when I was at Yale, I had, uh, uh, I think, four classmates at Yale who had graduated from Collegio Athenon, oh, Athens wow. College. Uh -huh. So I'd been familiar with the school for some time. Wow. One of them has been one of the big ministers in Greece. Greece is a small country. It's like Missouri. Yes. You know, if you live here in Missouri and are involved, engaged in things, you know people all around right. the state. Sure. And uh, Greece is kind of that way. Okay. You know, the educated uh, folks there, uh, uh, depending on their politics, can be involved in, uh, you know, the government. Uh, Panos Komandos was a classmate of mine who, last time I talked to him, been some years back, uh, was one of the big ministers in, okay. uh, in Greece. And uh, uh, anyway, it was a great experience. And I came back and, and uh, needed to continue my work, uh, my career. And I, I had a, an opportunity uh, to go to uh, move to Jefferson City, okay. uh, where uh, I took a position uh, as assistant commissioner of education in the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Okay. Worked with Arthur Mallory. Uh, who uh, over the years has been like a big brother to me. Uh, Arthur was president of SMS back uh -huh. in, the, in the 1960s. Uh, and uh, uh, I was there for eight, eight and a half years, I think, as okay. assistant commissioner of education. So. Okay. 
uh, it was a good time. And I really became politically socialized. I worked with the General Assembly. I had responsibility for uh, all of the programs and administration for the public schools. Uh, nothing exotic. Uh, uh, I just had all the money. <laughs> and uh, that uh, <laughs> provided so plenty of challenges. <laughs> I, I oversaw our budget the preparation uh, and uh, presentation of our budget to the governor and the House and Senate uh, appropriation committees and uh, uh, had responsibility for that and uh, school transportation and, and uh, food service and dist school district reorganization and, and all the ad department administration, uh -huh. all our accounting and personnel and and budgeting and so on. So, so that is putting you up to the period when That brought me up to the time uh, in 1983. Okay, uh, and I, I, I've got all kinds of questions about yep. that. I want to... I'm still learning how to be a good host, and so I probably did not do a good job, but I got... I thought it was good to take a break and then start talking to John about his time at Drury University which at the time was Drury College. So anyway, I want to know what is what needs to be in a good college president? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. <laughs> uh, I think somebody who can survive and uh, get something done. Uh -huh. uh, you know, there's no formula. There are many, many uh, recipes probably for uh, success and there's no one style uh, and that's true of you know leadership in any kind well, of an organization. Well it seems to me that you need to be able to yeah. deal with a lot of diverse problems. You got to be a babysitter and yeah. a, you know you know kind of a tough guy. Mm -hmm. You got to do a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. You know I've, I've used the parallel uh, suggested a parallel between between uh, serving as president of a college and uh, being pastor of a big church. Okay. I mean, you've got a you've got a congregation, uh, but a, 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 of sorts. You've got uh, your alumni and uh -huh. you, your different constituencies. You right. have you have uh, your 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 students, uh -huh. your faculty, your staff, uh -huh. uh, your uh, a community, uh, your donors. Uh, there's uh, just a great uh, diversity of constituencies, all of whom believe they have a stake <laughs> yes. and uh, want to give you want to give want to give you <laughs> advice. And uh, I I went I joined Drury in the fall of 1983 and stayed for 22 years. So I well, guess. But what is so interesting about that, because I actually did a little research, mm -hmm. and this was not a position that was being stayed in for very long at all. No. And that, to me, is quite incredible and very different than what I would have thought. Mm -hmm. And so you were the 14th president. I was. And, you know, if you think about that, I really expected maybe six, seven, you know, something, but there were so many people... There was Mallory in the 40s, and then, you know, there was many, many presidents between. And yeah. how did that happen? Oh, every once in a while the stars line up, I think. And the chemistry's <laughs> right, and the times are right. Uh, but you were, you were a unicorn. Yeah, I guess I kind of was. Uh, Jim Findlay had been the president of Drury from 1940 until 1964 right. and still he he uh, uh, has the record as the longest serving president of uh -huh. Drury. My uh, friend uh, Bob Spence who died just a few weeks ago had been president at Evangel for 40 years okay. and uh, that was a, a record nationally. Right. The average when I when I left uh, Drury when I retired the average tenure of college presidents was about seven years, uh -huh. probably longer in private schools uh, than in public right. colleges and universities. Sure. 
there's more stabil there has been more stability among private schools sure. uh, than public. Uh, right now, I think uh, Cliff Smart, who's the president of Missouri yes. State University, I believe, I believe Cliff will set a record. He's, uh, <laughs> he has, you know, the remarkable right chemistry right. Uh, and uh, is doing a super job. I've right. told him, and we're friends, and I've told him several times, I, I regret that uh, I wasn't uh, in my job at Drury when he was president because we would have found ways to do a lot of things together for the good of the community sure. and the good of uh, our respective uh, institutions. But uh, uh, no, you know, I think it's chemistry. I think it's the, 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 the times. And, uh, you know, Marshall Gordon was the president of uh, SMS uh -huh. uh, for probably about uh, maybe seven or eight years. Uh -huh and kind of left uh, over some problems. Uh, and the times had changed and they were more challenging, money was tight. I think he would have been a very, very successful president if he'd been in uh, Texas and there was lots of money in a university sure. and everything was growing and building right. and so on. Uh -huh. But when you have to manage uh, limited resources uh, uh, and uh, you know square that with the big ambitions, uh, well, and then you think about, I guess, that I need to think about, 1981 to 83 was a kind of tumultuous time in the U.S. And it was. There were problems in the economy. But that is the length. So I think that between Finley and you, mm -hmm. there were like 27,000 people that, that were the presidents <laughs> not of that, Not quite that many. You know, only <laughs> but it 26. was like five or six. Well, yeah, there were five or six and, and several interims. When you came in, yeah. there were significant budget problems. Yes, there were. Drury yes. was uh, had a current fund defi deficit of nearly a million dollars. Yes, nine hundred thousand uh, dollars. Yeah, and uh, it had just compounded, uh, and it uh, they'd had presidents who, for various reasons, did not work out. After Jim Findlay left, they hired a man. Uh, uh, who uh, was uh, a, a good uh, a good president? He got cancer, had cancer oh, wow. almost uh, as soon as he arrived and uh, died. And uh, then they hired another man, and there were budget problems and issues with the trustees. And he lasted about two years. And then they hired uh, the pastor of First and Calvary Presbyterian okay. Church, uh, who. Uh, was a great pastor and uh, probably not real successful as a college president. Uh -huh. A good guy, I met him, right. uh, uh, Bill Everhart, uh, and he was tragically killed in a train crossing accident uh, over in Kansas. Uh, wow. And then they had a couple of uh, interim, uh, interim people and then they hired a guy uh, uh, who lasted three years and was very controversial with the faculty. Well, and that was the thing that I noticed yeah. in the thing was, I would think that a, a president's biography would be littered with hosannas and honorifics, but it was not, you know, no. even in the jury website. No, it, it was so, not. It was tell not. Tell me about uh, that. John Bartholomew. Uh, <laughs> you know, you got, you have, you know, it, it's pretty hard to be uh, the president of a college and just uh, uh, have, get things done by sort of administrative fiat. Yes. It just doesn't work. <laughs> you know, everybody wants to be involved. Uh, and, uh, and you've got so many people that need to be involved. And, and who need to be involved. You know, the uh, and there are few, very few who do that. Uh, uh, you know, my friend Jerry Davis uh, is uh, down at College of the Ozarks, and he's been there a long time, and he's done a good job in many, many respects. But uh, his approach uh, is very different uh, than mine. You know, sort of it's my way or the highway. Yes. And, uh, he's run people off and, and uh, uh, just, it, it's a different style, and maybe it's worked because he's persisted. Uh, but... Uh, 
you know, uh, you know, what is it that makes a good organization? You know, and it starts with leadership right. uh, and the right kind of leadership with the right kind of chemistry. And it, the required chemistry may be different from place to place. But if you're going to have a good organization, a successful organization, after you start with leadership, that leadership has to have a role, uh, and a lot of people contribute to this, in creating a culture that is uh, a, a wholesome, sustaining culture where okay. people feel like they belong, that they are proud of their organization, that they are happy to contribute to it. And you get people pulling in uh, harness essentially the same way. And right. then you can get a lot done. And you think about the organizations that have great culture, uh -huh. a great culture. And there have been some good patterns in the past, I think. You can take the, you know, for somebody that's in the military, uh, the Marine Corps has got right. the, the greatest culture. Sure. You know, people, it's, they don't take everybody. You know, it's right. uh, Semper Fi Dallas, Semper Fi, uh, uh, you're proud to be a Marine, you're always a Marine, there's kind of a brotherhood, uh, and they've had a wonderful culture. Uh, or in years past, uh, you know, Southwest Airlines, back sure. in the early days, even, I don't think it's what it once was, but, uh, you know, they were different, they were kind of kooky. Right. Uh, they ran a good airline, uh, uh, and people, the flight at flight crews were, you know, happy to see you, right. and uh, some of that has changed. But if you have a, a good leadership that supports a, a wholesome culture uh, that communicates uh, effectively, that's so important, uh, that uh, has some vision, has good judgment, um, can look around the corners and see what's coming down the road and try to stay ahead of it. Uh, I think there, there are some good models of successful leadership. Well, and you've obviously studied that. That's been something that you've thought about. I've, I've thought about it, sure. Because uh, in three years, you turned a million-dollar shortfall into a million-dollar, what was it, increase? Well, we, we got, we got, uh, we got uh, out of the hole financially for <laughs> four years. That's pretty wildly. Uh, yeah, we got out of the hole, and then, you know, what we tried to do, I had a good team of people, uh -huh. uh, almost all of whom all of whom I inherited, and almost every one of them stayed for a long time. And I used to say, I don't want anybody working here who can't get a better job. Uh -huh. I want people uh, who, who can get a better job but are here and want to stay because they feel like they're part of a team and they uh, take satisfaction from the accomplishments we are making sure. and uh, moving the institution ahead. By Yeah, mm -hmm. what we tried to do was, uh, you know, we had a bunch of metrics that we tracked and uh, we'd put a stake in the ground at the end of every year, here's where we are, here's what we want to do this next year and a year later we'd put the stake in the ground, how far have we come? And we check it every year, and uh, that uh, you know was the source of our strength. We had we had good faculty, and we had, you know, I never had a barely ever a crossword uh, contra uh, uh, controversy with any of our faculty. I enjoyed them. Uh, our dean, we were blessed with a wonderful, wonderful colleague. Uh, who uh, unfortunately, about three, two or three years before I retired, had succumbed to to uh, uh, melanoma cancer. Which one was that? Uh, Stephen Good. Okay. Steve was uh, tremendously uh, competent, uh, and uh, I, and he ran the faculty, and yet, and I was involved with them, and I don't think the faculty ever knew how close Steve and I were. We would confer regularly. He was very supportive, uh, and I had the the creds to be an inside person with the you know my education background. I was sure. never I never was an academic. I don't uh -huh. pretend to be an academic. Oh, uh, you know I can pass. I can uh, <laughs> you know I I can path. I can get a I can get a ticket to the to the meeting, but uh, uh -huh. I I don't pretend to be a. 
to be an academic. Uh, uh, when I started out in my career, I thought I wanted to be, right. uh, but uh, and I could have been, but I enjoyed the development, the leadership, uh, the you know having an organization to uh, to do good things. Right. So you know, I'm right now. I'm uh, this year. I'm 78 years old. And I still say I'm uh, that I have. Uh, uh, I think your dad and I are just exactly yes. the same age, right. Dale. Uh, and I've known your dad for a long time. <laughs> I I say uh, you know uh, I may be I I I I don't have a job. I'm retired. I don't get a paycheck from anybody but Social Security and a little from my investment account. But uh, I still uh, go to work every day. I've got. Uh, Things that are challenging that I enjoy doing, and uh, I have uh, uh, ambitious, uh, big, big, uh, big ideas and ambitious oh, that's plans. Good. That's great. And uh, you know that can be my epitaph, I suppose. <laughs> uh, he always had, uh, you know, uh, big ideas and ambitious plans. Well, you know what I remember is you coming to the old. Presbyterian Church yep. when it was downtown. I remember. Some. I remember. And, I um, you know, and then you were at First in Calv, and I remember that right. as well. And yep. In fact, I remember that for whatever reason, they let me get up and teach Sunday school a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And I remember you and Dwayne Meyer were in there. Mm -hmm. Dwayne. You know, and he was a fantastic Oh so my, Dwayne and I were dear friends from way before I came down to Springfield. Really? He had Arthur had uh, Arthur Mallory had been the president at uh, SMS. Dwayne was the dean and succeeded Arthur as in president the as president. In the library. Yeah, That's and a big uh, and Dwayne and I were always good friends. We uh, served together on a committee that uh, called. Uh, uh, Gary Stratman as uh, oh, yeah. as pastor at First and Calvary. And I chaired great. I chaired the committee, and Dwayne uh, was the anchor for that group. <laughs> uh, but uh, Dwayne and I, you know, were dear dear friends. He in retirement, Dwayne moved down to Texas near uh, I think his son, and uh, I think both uh, both Dwayne and uh, I know Dwayne has passed on, and Lynn uh, likewise. Oh, yeah, she was very nice. Yeah, Lynn, Dwayne and, and Lynn Meyer, great people. Well, and I guess that then that brings me to the question of what is your view on religion and whatever that means, you know? Because <laughs> I've been, I've uh, seen you be wherever yeah. it's the new church, the old, old, old church, whatever you've been faithful and you come regularly and I'm just interested to hear your thoughts. Well, that's you know that's a habit you get into when you're a kid. Sure. You go to Sunday school, you go to church as a kid, and I did. Uh, my parents uh, uh, you know were in the Methodist church, we went to Presbyterian church. From my standpoint, uh, most all of the mainline churches at six one, a half a dozen of the other. I, I so. currently, I'm now a member at uh, Brentwood Christian Church uh, in Springfield. Uh -huh. It's a warm, welcome, uh, welcoming, open uh, church. Some people would say liberal. I say it's just biblically right. oriented sure. uh, and uh, very concerned with social justice. But no, I. I uh, I profess to be a Christian. I'm proud of that. I think as I've gotten older, it means more to me. Uh, you know, your faith, uh, you have to think about uh, what do you put here for? Uh, what uh, have you accomplished? Right. What do you, uh, you know, what do you, do you need to be doing with your life? Right. And, uh, you know, we've got... Uh, two pastors at my church who are provocative preachers. They're okay. both uh, really great preachers and it makes me think uh, about okay. uh, you know what we believe and why we believe it. And uh, I was at choir practice last night. I used to, with your mama, your mama used to <laughs> run the choir at, uh, at the Crane Presbyterian yes. Church and uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh -huh. uh, and I still uh, am involved with that. I'm involved, I'm a believer, I believe in the power of prayer. Uh, I just read a wonderful book by uh, 
was given to me by friends in the church where I go now by Edward O. Wilson, The Meaning of Human Existence, which okay. is a provocative book. He's a, a, you know, a, prize, a prize-winning author. He was a bi- uh, he's retired uh, he, emeritus uh, professor at Harvard, uh, biologist. And, uh, you know, the, the, you know, kind of the tension or the conflict, uh, do we live in a world that's subject uh, and has evolved according to some great design, some sure. great plan, or are, are we now at a point that where we are simply by random accident exactly. uh, through millennia and, and we've evolved to some those. point? <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had a great sermon the other day that I still am contemplating. I've got to talk to my Phil Snyder, is, uh, our, one of our pastors. Uh, he was talking about, uh, you know, different theologies, and he was playing the role of a real you know, teaching elder, which we talk about in the Presbyterian Church. Right. There are teaching elders and ruling elders. Sure. And uh, he was talking about different theories of, uh, uh, you know, in our, in our Christian faith, uh, you know, is, uh, is uh, uh, you know, did Christ come to redeem us from our sins? Okay. okay. And that, uh, you know, pretty much standard theology, sure. uh, you know, we are uh, uh, saved by faith and uh, Christ's atonement for our sins, uh, right. we're born with that uh, blemish of original, uh, stain of a original sin, uh-huh. and uh, Christ's uh, presence here uh, has been uh, uh, redemptive and, uh, and so on. And that's one sort of theory, and there's another one, you know, of God, of God, uh, uh, you know, in conflict with Satan. You sure. know, it's the yin and the yang, the right. good and the bad that we're always, always in, te- has always been in tension. Uh-huh. And uh, interesting uh, implications of that, kind of in contrast to the, you know, the ransom theory yes. where uh, Christ has ransomed us. Uh-huh. Anyway, provocative, and I want to talk to Phil Snyder, who's my pastor, about uh, how all of this squares with sort of the notion of human progress. Okay. Uh, and that'll be an interesting conversation. Because there are plenty of there are plenty of examples for both sides. Oh, of yeah. the Debate. I think uh, I think you're exactly right. Uh, <laughs> and it's you know you can debate and debate and debate, but it's you know kind of fascinating, uh, fascinating discussion. And uh, right. So I you know I I'm. I read a little bit, uh, not a lot, but some. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I am a believer. I, I go to church, uh, you know, as I said. I started doing it when I was a kid, and I've always kind of gone. Sure. And uh, I feel better for it. I, I feel, you know, you get a little injection <laughs> that, right. you know, uh, you, uh, you, your week is better if you've heard uh, a good uh, sermon oh, and you yeah. do, you know, whatever your liturgy may be, if uh, any. Uh, you hear some great music or sing some great <laughs> yes. music uh, and uh, you uh, offer up a prayer, which, uh, you know, I do every day. Right. You know, <laughs> because for all these years I have felt I need all the help I can get <laughs> from heaven above and earth below. So, yes. anyway. And so what are you involved in now? What are the things that are... The passions in my life, yes. uh, the things I say, if I had to work, I don't know where I'd find the time, Dale. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, when I retired, I failed retirement the first time uh, at, after I left Drury. I worked in uh, a foundation, a water quality foundation, environmental foundation based in Branson, concerned okay. about keeping our water clean in uh, the Ozarks, uh-huh. Arkansas and Missouri. And uh, I retired, retired at the end of 2010, which means I don't get a paycheck anymore uh-huh. other than a little Social Security, right. which keeps me in gas and, uh, and fish bait and uh, <laughs> a beer now and then. Right. And uh, anyway, uh, I, I uh, 
became a beekeeper. I keep bees. Okay. I have a partner, and we're, you know, we run sometimes upwards of 100 beehives. Wow. Uh, we are uh, Valerie Nichols, a okay. dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, she taught me, and then we became partners. Uh, she's retired, uh, worked for UPS for a number of years, uh, 32 years, I think. She retired two years ago. But uh, we've been keeping bees together for, I don't know, eight, eight or ten, I think I've been in it ten years. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I enjoy it. They're fascinating creatures. I was always interested in agriculture. Sure. And, uh, uh, and it's becoming more and more oh, important. Oh, we, uh, we know how important it is. Yes. Uh, a third of the food we eat depends on pollination. And uh, most of that, two thirds, three quarters of that's from honeybees. Right. So uh, we keep a lot of honeybees. I was working, I was checking some yesterday and I did a dumb thing. I had my bee suit on and, uh, <laughs> and I didn't, didn't have my high boots on and I had about 40 bees crawl up my pants leg. Oh, wow. And it was, you should have had a video of it uh, <laughs> because I was jumping around and, uh, and I don't do this. I'm really careful. I had my suit on and. Uh, <laughs> I skinnied out of that suit, pulled my pants off, and shook about 40 bees out of my pants. Oh yeah, I got stung any number of times. I, you know, some we teach a class for new beekeepers, and a lady asked us, came to our class, and said, "Well, will I get stung?" Yeah, you're probably going to get stung sometime or other. But uh, they're fascinating creatures, and I hate to have them sting me because they die. Right. You know, the little bees uh, yeah. don't survive. I helped my granddad when I was a kid. He kept some bees, and he used to tell me, if one of those bees sting, stings you, I'm going to charge you a dime because uh, <laughs> that bee's going to die. Anyway, uh, yeah, I keep bees, uh, and still I'm doing it. Uh, we're the beekeepers for Missouri State University oh, wow. uh, for the agriculture school. We keep bees on uh, at the Dar Farm uh, in Springfield on the uh, uh, the Sheely Farm, uh, north of uh, Springfield, up toward Pleasant Hope. Uh, and Saturday, I'll be over at uh, Mountain Grove at the Fruit Experiment Station. I've had bees there for probably eight years, eight okay. or nine years. Wow. And uh, I'm taking a new beekeeper with me uh, to, uh, you know, introduce her to you know, as I say, get your nose in a hive and sure. uh, we'll show you, you know, what the bees are doing. So I keep bees uh, and I have, uh, I've always loved farming, I've always had a garden and uh, I, uh, three years ago, bought a farm up north of Springfield. Okay. It's, uh, people know where, if you go up Highway 13, you know where Springfield's landfill is. Sure. It's terrible to use the town dump as your point of reference, <laughs> but I'm about two, two and a half miles west of there. Okay. An 86 acre farm that was, uh, uh, had been uh, grown up, it had grown up, it had been uh, abandoned essentially, uh, derelict, and I've been trying to uh, rescue it uh, from uh, decay and oblivion. And uh, I enjoy it. I go up and work myself uh, into a frazzle. Uh, I put a little house up there a year ago, one of these factory-built houses like uh, in Eden Village, sure. uh, the project for the homeless, chronically right. disabled homeless in Springfield. I have one of those little houses that I was able to get a permit for to put up on my farm. And now I'm building a house uh, similar to the one that I've had down here on the James River, which was my retreat and hideout for a lot of years. Uh -huh. And uh, I plan to move up there full time. I enjoy it. Uh, and uh, so I've got 86 acres and it, you know, there's always, if you have a, a farm property and you like doing it, you're never caught up. Right. You're exactly. never caught up. There's always stuff to do. And uh, I do that, and I'm, I'm still involved, with, very active with the Rotary Club of Springfield. With uh, uh, I'm on the board uh, for Eden Village, and I've helped develop that project. We're working on another... Uh, another Tell me about that. It's, uh, you know, homelessness is a challenge in every community Definitely. of any size. Uh, right. In California, they're scratching their heads uh, and trying to figure out what to do about the homeless. Oh, yeah. Because... Housing prices are high. 
the economy is, you know, uh, always yeah, an issue. Some, not for everyone. Not uh, yeah, for some it's great, and others for it's terrible. We have a crisis in healthcare, uh -huh. and the politicians now running for uh, the presidency are talking about what's the right answer to <laughs> doing better on yes. doing better on healthcare, uh, so that everybody can access healthcare. Those pro those issues all come together. And uh, you have people who do not have homes. Some cases they have mental mental illness. Sometimes they have uh, a lot of hard luck. Sometimes uh -huh. it's drug or alcohol addiction. Right. And uh, it's a challenge that uh, that uh, is not unique to Springfield. But uh -huh. we've developed in Springfield a model uh, with the you know the the homeless need a home. They right. need a home and they need a sense of community with supportive right. services. Right. And uh, Eden Village has targeted the chronically disabled homeless. Uh -huh. And uh, there are probably 200 such individuals in Springfield. And uh, my friends David and Linda Brown, Dr. David Brown and uh, Linda Brown, uh, are just short of sainthood uh, <laughs> for their, uh, their commitment, uh, their leadership, uh, their... Uh, endless uh, energy. Uh, they're indefatigable. They're just working on uh, on you know addressing this issue. Right. And we managed to put in the first Eden Village. It's paid for essentially upwards of three million dollars. Okay. We're now uh, building the second Eden Village in Springfield. Wow. In fact, I'm meeting later today with David uh, Brown. To talk, we still need about uh, two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to finish up this two million dollar project, and it has become, I believe, a model, a national, a model for uh, the whole country on how to do it. Sure. We put uh, the the uh, uh, little home communities. They're manufactured homes. They're lovely. I have one of them up on my yes, farm. Yes, definitely. And uh, they. Uh, uh, provide a home and uh, in a community where there can be supportive, sustaining services. Right. And so I guess that my question is, is there anything that you want me to ask you? Is there anything that I haven't covered or something else? Or what, if not, what advice would you give, whether it's in beekeepers, whether it's <laughs> university presidents, whether it's the Christians, whatever it is? Oh, well, that's a pretty broad question, Dale. <laughs> a pretty broad question. What uh, advice would I give? You yes. know, uh, I'd, I'd tell people, especially young people, get, get all the education you have. Okay. I'm a career educator. I believe in, in the power and importance of education. Right. And not just today the calculus has uh, involved, you know, what's the economic return. And that's an important, sure. that's an important calculus. Right. But... Uh, you know, you're going to have a, a full, more fulfilling life if you if you uh, know know where you come from. You know, read uh, read the newspaper. Uh, get up every morning and make your bed. It look like you're going to go someplace and do something. Yes. As I say, you know, I still have uh, big ideas and ambitious plans. Right. Uh, you know, there's yeah. more stuff to do that's worthwhile doing, and uh, you know. Do your best to, to uh, this gets into a, a sort of a philosophical point of view. I think human, you know, man, there is a, a notion of progress right. in, in, uh, over the long haul. Uh, ec, you know, there's been economic progress. Uh, we, we uh, today in the United States, uh, you know, uh, we are still trying to deal with discrimination and oh, yeah. prejudice of one sort. You know, it's still there, but there has been progress. Right. You know, I, I've seen it in my lifetime. But I think that human nature over the long haul is uh, essentially, you know, it doesn't change. Uh -huh. You know, we are all, still we, are, we, we are, we are all infected with the, you know, the, the we have, we have, the good side of the force pulling on us and the That's dark right. side of the force yeah, pulling right. on us. But I think, uh, you know, human nature being what it is, at any given time and place, in any 
uh, community, in any institution like a college, in a state, in a in a country, you can get on the you can get ahead. You can uh, you can uh, right. you can have a good moment, a good time, a good uh, great success. People can feel uh, upbeat and and uh, like uh, you know somebody cares that they. Uh, uh, our citizens, uh, right. and this applies to a country. Right now, I think, uh, you know, in our country, we are suffering from such divisiveness. Yes. And uh, we need to pull it all together, and uh, we can be better. So I would tell anybody, do your bit to... Uh, to be better. To be, yeah, to contribute <laughs> to that. You know, smile. Smile at somebody. Exactly. You know, smile at somebody. It'll, it'll make them... They'll either feel good or make them wonder what the hell you've been up to, you know. Uh, yeah, or both, or both. Uh, so I would say, uh, you know, do what you can where you are in your place uh, to make your life and uh, the life of those around you somewhat, somewhat better. That's a long rambling answer uh, to your broad question. Yes. What, what thought would I have uh, kind of uh, by, by way of conclusion? Well, that's great. Thank you so much for sitting down for me and spending this time. Listen to the Dale Wiley Show. More changes are coming. It will be good stuff. Go to DaleWileyShow.com to learn more.